going to be reading a poem that was published by Douglas Reed Skinner and Patricia Skunstein in Stanzas number 12. And the name of the poem is Beneath Albumen Yoke. And it's written in memory of the South African poet Ruth Miller, who lived from 1919 to 1969. Beneath Albumen Yoke. Beneath semi-permeable crystalline shell and two layers of tough membranous keratin, Beneath an air cell and albumen, there rests the yolk, nutrient-rich and spherical, opaquely anchored to egg white by rope-like strands, rich and glossy with vitamins and minerals, lipids and acids, an incubated embryo, rich source of food for my pencil. Ruth, there you repose, vitaline, feeding my albuminoid brain. There you slumber, abundant yolk, Digestible to an infant, three times as wholesome as the white of an egg, astonishingly suspended in my egg-oval intellect. Welcome listeners to another episode of the David Crit Projects podcast. And today we're speaking to poet, editor and publisher Michelle Beatty. Michelle, uh, welcome and thanks for coming to chat to me today. Thanks so much for having me uh, on your podcast. It's really exciting for me to be talking with you this morning. So uh, let's start off with quite a, uh, an easy question. Well, maybe not easy, but um, where did your love for poetry begin? Well, um, it's quite an interesting question. I think that what happened with me was I went to a, a convent in Johannesburg, St. Teresa's Convent. And when I was in the equivalent of uh, grade 10, I had a very eccentric nun who taught us Sister Redemptor. And she taught us poetry for that, um, uh, for the module for that year. And she made us learn Jared Manley Hopkins, Robert Frost, all these traditional poets. Um, and I used to walk from class to class with the lines of this poetry in my mind. And I think that really was what cemented my first love and awareness for poetry. I think it's always wonderful because you rarely hear... And so poetry is often not taught as much as it should at a high school, like a schooling level. Yes, I have to say that was my first experience. I'd never been exposed to poetry that I can remember before that. And even subsequent to that, I don't think I had a teacher who really sort of resonated the poetry with, with us. And what's quite interesting is that you actually started your professional career as a lawyer. Um, what made you come to the world of poetry instead? Well, um, I always used to write poetry, and when I was a student, I had a little black book where I kept all my poems in. Um, but as I studied my LLB and went into the world of business, uh, worked for Investec and then for a big uh, law firm, uh, the poetry was lost to me. But um, after many years, we relocated to Cape Town, and I stopped working as an attorney after I had my second uh, child. And it was then that my mind and my psyche was open again and willing to receive the, the poetry. And I started writing again at that point. And you just started to fall in love with it all over again? Yeah, I decided I really wanted to become skilled at writing and that I should go and do a master's at UCT. But when I looked into it, you needed a portfolio. And so I joined Fanula Darling's very well-known poetry classes um, and I think I was there for about 18 months, maybe even two years, and Fanula helped me to 
develop and build a portfolio, which I then submitted to UCT. And basically, since then, my, my, my poetry writing has taken, taken a different turn. Another question I have is, how did you find it quite different when you were writing poetry within these kind of creative classes? Was it quite different writing poetry in that setting to an academic setting like UCT? Was it quite a different experience? Um, it's a, a very different experience um, in that the you know the studying at UCT exposes you to so much more academia, um, academic articles um, across a broad spectrum. Um, at UCT, when you study your masters, you can take your half year courses across any discipline in the arts, in the humanities. So for instance, I did one course through anthropology, um, I did others through the Afrikaans department. So there were so many different options available to you to develop your mind and your thinking. And that is one of the real benefits. Oh, that's wonderful. And so you also recently came back from the McGregor Poetry Festival. How yes. was it? The, the festival was absolutely fantastic, one of the best I've been to um, for, for some time. And I think that it was, first of all, they had such an interesting program. Um, there were so many events to choose from, different, uh, a mix of different things. You could go to book launches, you could go to book readings, you could go to workshops. And the range of people that were available were, was so diverse. There were um, readings from really established poets like uh, John T. Driver, mm -hmm. Joan Hambidge, Douglas Skinner, Kelwyn Soul, and those were absolutely outstanding. And then you could go all the way down to the Helen Vale Poets, which was a group of school children from the area that are being mentored by the festival. Um, and you could go and listen to, to work by them. So there was a really broad range of, of events available to go to. And you also, in this environment where everyone is there is really invested in literature, everyone loves reading, everyone loves writing, everyone loves the poetry. And so it's a, quite a unique environment to be in, and it was really a very successful event uh, to go to, very enjoyable. I think it's so great that there's this a sense of community within it, you know, to have, like you said, everyone who's passionate about literature, passionate about reading, and to just have them all in a collective yes. space must be quite inspiring. It's very uh, inspirational, and I think it's also unusual, because usually in the busyness of Cape Town life, you don't get that opportunity to spend two or three days with like-minded people, and that's the real benefit of going to McGregor, where you're actually away from your normal routine and your normal daily life, and everyone is just spending the weekend doing what they love. And you can just put put pure focus into the poetry. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, so part of your poetry activities, um, you began Dryad Press publications, and yes. can you tell me a bit about how it began? Well, Dryad Press um, began after I finished my master's. My supervisor and a mentor at UCT is Joan Hambidge. And Joan Hambidge and I were really disappointed at the opportunities for poets to reach publication. There's so few opportunities available. Um, on the Afrikaans side, there's a lot more opportunities, or there were a lot more opportunities for Afrikaans poets to reach publication. But essentially, if you passed an MA at a university with distinction, it really is a sign that your work has reached a level that can be published. And so um, Joan said to me, you should start a, a publishing company. 
And that's where the idea came from. And we work in collaboration. Joan offers um, a lot of advice and mentorship uh, in the business. Uh, she helps me to make the selections, and she has a very good overall bird's eye view of, of the press. And is there any significance to the name Dried Press? Well, when I was thinking about names for the press, I was reading a lot of Keats, and he has a lot of dryads in his uh, poetry, a dryad of the trees. And when I looked up uh, and read up on dryads, it's something from Greek mythology. The Greeks were very imbued with nature. They loved streams and forests and rivers. and But there was an aspect of the mystical and the divine that they always melded into this idea of nature. And this came in the form of these nymphs and dryads that they believed existed in the trees and the forests and the streams. And so that's where the name for Dryad Press came. You state that the aim of the publication will be for the ability of literature to defamiliarize. Can you expand on that? I, I learned a lot about defamiliarization when I did my master's. Um, and one of the things I studied was the Russian formalists, who were a, Greek of, a group of Russian scholars. Um, and they looked at texts and said, if one wants to look at whether a text is valuable, see whether it can, can take the everyday, mm -hmm. um, the mundane, and help you to see it in a new and fresh light. That's the ability of a text to be able to take the familiar and make it new. And that's where that aspect comes in. So in a sense, you're offering readers of these poetry just like a, a different outlook on the familiar. Yes, a different outlook, a new outlook on the familiar. Because it's very difficult to always write about a new topic. Mm -hmm. You actually have to take these topics that are every day, mm -hmm. that we all deal with on an ongoing basis, and present it in a new way. That's what makes really good And literature. I think that also allows the literature to be something that people can relate to. You know, they yes. can relate to those everyday experiences and just change their perception about what it's like. And their perspective, mm -hmm. yes. We were quite fortunate to launch your first poetry collection here at David Cook Project's Cape Town called Metaphysical Balm. Um, not only was it your first personal poetry collection, but it was also the first publication for Dried Press. Can you tell us a bit about how this poetry collection came together? So the poetry collection was the result of my uh, master's. When you do your master's as a poet, you have to produce a collection and then you have to write a dissertation. So the collection Metaphysical Balm was what I produced for my master's. And um, it's quite strange how it came about, but um, I did a course with Imran Kovadia on creative writing, and he said to me, have you read Ted, Ted Hughes's Crow Poems, The Life and Songs of the Crow? And I hadn't, and he said, you should read that. And about two days later, I was in a bookstore, and I saw this secondhand book. So I took it, and I read it, and those poems were so... Um, I was so obsessed with those poems for days, I couldn't sleep the, um, the blood and the guts and the despair mm -hmm. of those poems. And I wanted to create a set of poems that were totally different. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when I wrote the first eight of uh, the owl poems that are in that collection. And the rest of the collection came from, from that. Once again, it's like you're inspired by the poetry and it's once again you're looking at the familiars of what's around you and that you're inspired by the poets that are around you and just kind of feeds Absolutely. all Absolutely. And what is the future for Dry Press? Do you have any poets on the list that you would love to collaborate with? 
certainly, we um, we have you know this year we've published three three collections. We're, we published Tony Uliat um, and Unobtrusive Vice. We were very excited to publish Joan Hambridge's work in translation, The Coroner's Wife. And we are working with Stephen Simons on bringing out his second collection towards the end of this year. And then we are really hoping to work with Kambani Romano, who is a Joburg-based poet. He was supposed to uh, be published with us this year, but has been traveling extensively. So we're hoping that in the new year we'll be able to bring you um, his debut collection, which is a really exciting piece of work. And then we have two or three other poets that we have on the list for next year, but uh, they're under wraps at the moment. <laughs> but I will keep you advised, and in the next um, two or three months, we'll finalize our list, and then I will certainly let you know. Well, that's exciting. I mean, it's it's always wonderful, for, especially for a new publication, you know, to always have these incredible people that they are collaborating with. Yes. And it's such a uh, bright future for the publication. Yes, there's so many brilliant um, uh, poets out there and um, outstanding work to be able to offer poets an opportunity to publish is really a gift. No, definitely. And I think one of the other places where poets are able to have a platform is for New Contrast, the South African literary journal that you're also an editor for. And when did you become editor? So um, I became editor in 2017, so I've been the editor for this year's my second year. And before that, I worked for a year with Meg van der Merwe, who's a professor at UWC, and she came on board as the editor. So I trained under her for a year. And before that, I had been the poetry editor for several years with Michael King while he was the editor. So I've been associated with the journal for many years, but I've been the editor for the last two and for those who aren't familiar with New Contrast, can you give them a little bit of a, a breakdown of what it's about? Look, New Contrast is the oldest surviving literary journal in the country, and we publish the best of new and established writers. So um, it's really good for uh, poets who are looking to reach publication to try and see if they can get their work published in New Contrast. We get hundreds of uh, submissions, so it is difficult, but if your work is good and it does appear in the, uh, the journal, it really is a very good thing to be able to put on your CV if you're writing to publishers about your work. And uh, we publish an array of writers, new writers like uh, Jolyn Phillips, when she was still new, we were publishing her, and then more established writers like Peter Anderson, Joan Hambridge, Kelvin Soule, all publish with us. And I think that's what makes New Contrast, and maybe that's maybe why it's lasted for so many years, is that it, it has a broad of poets, broad range from your emerging to your established. Yes, and I found what I've tried to reintroduce is also the review section and the interview section. Um, the poetry and the prose always sort of managed to stay, but in the old editions that you look at, you, they always used to have reviews and interviews and also um, critical articles. So that's another thing we're looking to try and bring back to make the journal more um, interesting. It's not just a selection of poetry and prose, but also interesting articles, reviews on new books that have come out. So we're trying to develop that. And what is an aspect of editing that you've really enjoyed? Um, editing has really assisted me um, in improving uh, my own writing. So it's made me more aware of punctuation in poetry and it's helped me with making my journal selections because I can see straight away 
when a poet sends a, a piece of work in, whether they have a good eye for, for grammar and language. Um, and editing is just um, a really useful tool. Um, one of the most enjoyable things is to see a before and after. So when you work on a piece of um, literature or a manuscript and you look at it before the editing and then you look at it after the editing, there's, uh, there's great satisfaction in that, to see that. And how do you go about the selection process of the poems for the um, For New Contrast, it's very difficult because, as I said, there's a lot of um, many, many submissions. Very often, and I say this to writers, I'm not sure if they believe me, but it really is the truth. Very often we have to look at poems that work well together, that read well together. So we might have a specific issue where we're doing a lot of nature poems or a specific uh, issue where we're doing a lot of portraiture poems, type poems. And so the selection often depends on what works work well together. Um, often it's easy to find the no's, and then um, I generally categorize my uh, consider gains. And then it becomes difficult to choose from there 10 or 20 poems that from that bulk of uh, work. Um, but generally, the really good ones are easy to choose. The really bad ones are easy to siphon <laughs> out. And the ones in between are very difficult. And so, so you're both an editor and a writer of poetry. And you've mentioned that being an editor does help assist you within your own poems. But how's it been actually working on both sides of poetry writing and kind of the balance between? Well, the two? I think it's useful in the sense that it keeps you it keeps your brain active and alive in the genre that you're working in. So editing keeps your brain active and alive to grammar, punctuation, spacing, all technical things like that, which help you with your writing. Um, so that's very useful. And poetry doesn't pay the bills. Editing, uh, there's a little bit of um, extra that you can make by doing editing. Um, although at New Contrast, we obviously don't because we all work uh, basically, uh, you know, for free. Yeah. Yeah. And for poets listening to this podcast who want to get published, do you have any advice for them? Um, for poets who are trying to get published uh, collections, you must first start to get published in literary journals. In South Africa, there's actually quite a good selection. You can approach New Contrast, Stanzas, there's Poetry Potion, Proof Rock, uh, New Coin. And then there's also online journals, which also count as publications. So Aerodrome, Slipnet, Typecast are all online publications where you can try to get your work submit, uh, published. So that's a really good place to start. Um, and then I thought that uh, when I saw that question, I'm always reminded of um, a poem, and I thought I'd end off with this poem. It's a poem by W.S. Merwin, who was in fact a student of John Berryman. And after John Berryman died, Merwin wrote this poem, and it was advice that Berryman gave him when he was a young poet. So shall I read that for you? Please do. Berryman. I will tell you what he told me in the years just after the war, as we then called the Second World War. Don't lose your arrogance yet, he said. You can do that when you're older. Lose it too soon, and you may merely replace it with vanity. Just one time he suggested changing the usual order of the same words in a line of verse. Why point out a thing twice? He suggested I pray to the muse, get down on my knees and pray right there in the corner, 
and he said he meant it literally. It was in the days before the beard and the drink, but he was deep in tides of his own, through which he sailed chin sideways and head tilted like a tacking sloop. He was far older than the dates allowed for, much older than I was. He was in his thirties. He snapped down his nose with an accent I think he had affected in England. As for publishing, he advised me to paper my wall with rejection slips. His lips and the bones of his long fingers trembled with the vehemence of his views about poetry. He said the great presence that permitted everything and transmuted it in poetry was passion. Passion was genius, and he praised movement and invention. I had hardly begun to read. I asked, how can you ever be sure that what you write is really any good at all? And he said, you can't. You can't. You can never be sure. You die without knowing whether anything you wrote was any good. If you have to be sure, don't write. That's wonderful. I think that's perfect advice for, Thanks, for people Elise. trying it's, to start. Yeah. Um, and I think it also proves that, that poetry, no matter when it's written, still has relevance in a contemporary setting. Absolutely. But thank you for coming to speak to me, Michelle. And thanks for spending this time with me, Elise. It's been wonderful. And listeners, um, I will definitely put the link below to Dried Press if you ever want to be in contact with Michelle. And don't forget to like the podcast and share it. And thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.